Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm William Rogeberg, a member of Ask Me. Your support makes Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hi, I'm Rebecca Meyer-Rao, the Executive Director of Worker Justice Wisconsin. This week, we have a live report from the 2022 Labor Notes Conference as well as a report from the Poor People's March in Washington, D.C. We bring you updates on organizing at Starbucks, a new statistic of the week, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Since 1979, Labor Notes has been the meeting place for the troublemakers in the labor movement. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that strives to put the movement back in the labor movement. Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, and building alliances with worker centers and unions that are run by their members. The Labor Notes convention kicked off Tuesday or today in Chicago at 9 a.m. At least 10 workers from Madison are in attendance, along with well over 2,000 other trade union activists. Andrew Cernadinger joins Labor Radio's Frank Emspach for a live report. Hi, Andrew. You're there? Hi. Good. How are you? Could you describe to our listeners sort of the scene? Yeah, so this is uh, Jeff uh, at the Labor Notes Conference. They're estimating it's the largest Labor Notes Conference they've held. It's about 4,000 attendees, um, mostly young workers, um, much younger labor nodes than, uh, than most of them in the past. So median age has dropped probably to like 28 years old. Wow. What do you think the uh, Labor Nodes Conference accomplishes? Um, it's one of the unique spaces in the labor movement where you get worker leaders talking about what they do and how they do it and sharing that directly with other uh, union workers, but, you know, people that are active in their workplace, whether they're, you know, self-consciously organized in a, in a union or not. Well, is there anything you'd like to add to sort of give us a sense of what's going to happen? Yeah, so this weekend, um, there is a lot of attention being paid to the Starbucks um, Workers Union. There's about 150 Starbucks shops that have been uh, filing elections with the National Labor Relations Board. They've sent a lot of their young workers uh, to this conference, and so they're talking about what they've been doing, how the type of union that they've been organizing. Um, there's also um, the Amazon Labor Union organizers are present. So Chris Smalls uh, is here. He's the president of the ALU. Um, they were the first union uh, in the United States to successfully organize a shop at an Amazon facility. Uh, and then on top of that, you have a whole lot of teamsters showing up. Um, there's a lot of conferences, uh, a lot of, of members that are showing up uh, because the International Brotherhood of Teamsters President, Sean O'Brien, is giving a keynote speech this evening. No, was there anything else you want to add? I think that's about it for now. There's okay. a lot to come. Um, it's happening over a Juneteenth weekend. 
So uh, there is the special attention being played to black workers and the struggle for uh, black liberation and workers. Wow. Well, I wish I was there with you. 4,000 sounds really tremendous. I, I think it's a wonderful thing. We'd like to thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, thank you for you know all that you do here. All right. Thanks, Frank, and more on this later. Okie doke. We'll see you. Thank you to Andrew Cernadinger for sharing his observations with us live from this year's Labor Notes Conference in Chicago. Yesterday, there was a celebration and a warning about the future of Wisconsin's civil service system and the rights of state workers. Greg Grigosby reports. Late yesterday afternoon, a crowd of about 20 people gathered at the windy State Street steps of the Capitol building with a loudspeaker and a birthday cake. They were there to celebrate the 117th anniversary of the founding of Wisconsin's civil service system, a system designed to form a permanent qualified staff of government employees, presumably outside the reach of political threats and patronage. Barbara Smith is a member of the Wisconsin Professional Employee Council AFT Local 4848, or WEPEC. She explained the origins of the group organizing the birthday party, the Wisconsin Coalition to Save Civil Service, which happened under the anti-worker administration of former Governor Scott Walker. State employee unions and good government groups like the Association of Career Employees and the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign came together with our public employee unions to form this coalition because we really wanted to fight back against the threat which ended up passing as Act 150 in 2016. Jamie McCarville is a member of WEPEC and has been a Wisconsin state employee since 1999. She has seen massive losses of state workers and subsequent growth in private contractors, a situation that to her seems to serve neither state nor contracted workers. We're just hemorrhaging staff, especially the IT people say they would wish they could be permanent employees. There's a lot of contract people and they would really like to be permanent and I would like them to be permanent too because you have to rely on people. It's just critical that there's always somebody that's available. Bill Franks is a former chief steward and a retired member of AFT Local 4848 and is the current chair of the Labor and Industry Committee of NAACP Dane County. Franks explained the idea behind civil service. Civil service basically means that we, the people who work in the civil service, are here to protect the interest of the residents of the state of Wisconsin. Now, you know what I say residents because some of the people that we work with may not even be citizens, but they have rights as well. So our job is to ensure that the public at large receives quality public services for the monies that are going into the system. One of the ways that you did that was by having people pass through an examination process. It was sort of like a merit system, but it worked. It gave, gave us high quality public employees. Mark Rothschild of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign addressed the event, summarizing the dire role of the Walker administration in the attack on the state's civil service system. He demonized you. He demonized civil servants, demonized teachers, made it out to be like just because you had decent health care and decent benefits and decent vacation time and some people in the private sector didn't, that nobody in Wisconsin should have it. And so he had inaugurated a race to the bottom rather than trying to lift everybody up. He had Act 150 in 2016, which did away with the mandatory civil service exams. And so now on top of the best shall serve, it's also been since Walker, you know, if you got a connection, you can serve too. And that's not right, that's cronyism, that's corruption.
Rothschild, said that the ongoing attacks on government employees are part of a larger nationwide campaign to undermine normal government operations, attack unions, and ultimately destroy all democratic institutions here. We shouldn't fool ourselves. There are tens of millions of people who subscribe to and participate in this anti-democracy movement. It consists, of course, of the Trump cult, and then it consists of white nationalism. You saw Trump give a permission slip to every racist and homophobe and sexist and anti-Semite all across the country. And a lot of these white nationalists are armed to the teeth. We saw him on January 6th. We saw him on our TV again today. That was Mark Rothschild of the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, speaking yesterday at a rally celebrating and calling for the protection of the Wisconsin civil service system. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. Tomorrow, thousands will gather in Washington, D.C. for the Poor People's Moral March on Washington, D.C. Labor Radio's Frank Emsbach spoke with an organizer of the Wisconsin contingent. Earlier this afternoon, four buses set out from Wisconsin on the way to Washington, D.C. to join the Poor People's Campaign for Moral Revival. The gathering will take place tomorrow. Labor Radio spoke with Bruce Grau, an organizer for the campaign. We asked Bruce to describe the Poor People's Campaign. The Poor People's Campaign and Call for Moral Revival. It's, a, it's in response to the immoral reality that in the richest, the richest country in the history of this planet, over 140 million people are forced to live day by day, paycheck to paycheck, being $400 emergency away from financial ruin and homelessness, all without any kind of guarantee that, that basic needs can be met. The campaign estimates that 149 million people are suffering in this economy. Given that, what are the goals of the campaign? So our, our goal in the Poor People's Campaign, or PPC, uh, we're trying to form a, a mass fusion movement across all divisions within the working class to destroy the foundational interlocking injustices of, of, of systemic poverty, racism, inadequate health care, ecological devastation, the war economy, and, and the false moral narrative of Christian nationalism. So what our ultimate goal is, we're trying to seek transformational systemic change. We refer to it as the third reconstruction. The campaign draws its inspiration from the original Poor People's March envisioned by Martin Luther King. That march, too, had a strong moral revival component. We asked Bruce Grau to describe how the campaign envisions achieving its goals. So we, we mobilize, we organize, we register people to vote, and we educate. So we believe that we also believe in, in direct nonviolent action. As far as this demonstration is concerned, Bruce described its significance as follows. This demonstration, it's, it's a declaration. It's been over 60-some years since the last March on Washington. We're at the point now where we feel we can, we can declare with a, a, a significant body of people coming together 
from all around the nation, from different faiths, different races, different sexual identities, to declare that we've had enough. It's immoral that this country, there's poverty in this country, and, and we know a way to change it. We asked Bruce to sum up why he had joined the campaign. I'm really getting ex- excited to, to join my thousands of my siblings from around the country. And we're going to raise our voices, we're going to sing, and we're going to be in opposition to an immoral system and bring loving hope to future generations. That change is going to happen. And what's particularly uh, meaningful to me is I'll be sharing this, this, this generational experience with my daughter, and I can't think of a better way to celebrate Father's Day. The campaign notes that poor people are the working class, and labor organizations representing millions of workers partnered with the Poor People's Campaign to mobilize. For example, in Wisconsin, one of the buses is sponsored by the SCIU and the Fight for 15 movements. Labor Radio would like to thank Bruce Grau for this interview. Right now, he's on his way to Washington, D.C. I am Frank Emsmack for Madison Labor Radio. Workers just won a union vote at Raven Software. Scott McCullough reports what will happen now that the company has been sold. On Monday, the Communication Workers of America, or CWA, and Microsoft announced a labor neutrality agreement. Microsoft is in the process of acquiring Activision Blizzard, parent company of Raven Software in Middleton, where workers just won a union vote for the Game Workers Alliance, a local of the CWA. The agreement, which will apply to Activision Blizzard employees only after the close of Microsoft's acquisition, requires Microsoft to take a neutral approach to employees organizing. Covered employees will be able to easily exercise their right to communicate with other employees and union representatives about union membership in a way that avoids business disruptions. Employees will be able to maintain confidentiality and privacy on their union membership if they wish. Finally, the agreement calls for the CWA and Microsoft to work together on disagreements and to go to arbitration if they cannot come to terms. Microsoft announced in January its intention to purchase Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion. This news came out just days before the workers at Raven publicly announced the formation of their union. As soon as Microsoft made its announcement, antitrust concerns arose about the potential acquisition. In April, the CWA filed comments with the Fair Trade Commission and the Department of Justice related to the acquisition, raising concerns about how it could allow the company to assert more control on labor markets and wages, in addition to the company's control over consumer prices due to its increased size. However, it appears that this agreement has satisfied the CWA. In their press release on the agreement, the CWA says, quote, The agreement addresses CWA's previous concerns regarding the acquisition, and, as a result, we support its approval and look forward to working collaboratively with Microsoft after this deal closes. End quote. The acquisition of Activision Blizzard is currently slated to close by June of 2023. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Scott McCullough. Starbucks workers are on a roll in their campaign to create better workplace conditions across the country. We'll hear updates on their push for union representation, as well as their deepening involvement in the labor movement. Starbucks baristas across the country continue to seize on the momentum of a successful union campaign, driven by the independent, worker-led Starbucks Workers United, an affiliate of Workers United and the Service Employees International Union. 
150 Starbucks cafes across the country have now voted in favor of joining with SWU. Compared against just 25 electoral losses since the start of the campaign, SWU now boasts an 81% win rate at locations that requested an NLRB election. In Wisconsin, a fifth store has now filed for an election with the NLRB. The cafe, located at the corner of West 108th Street and National in West Allis, submitted their petition on June 14th. They join cafes in Appleton, Madison, Oak Creek, and Plover in demanding union representation. Three of those cafes have won union representation thus far. The most recent Wisconsin victory occurred yesterday in Appleton, where workers voted 10 to 7 in favor of joining SWU. The store, located at 1 East Main Street on the Capitol Square, began casting their ballots near the end of last week. Workers at the store will have until the 29th to submit their votes, and the official NLRB account will begin the following day. The expanding scope of the Starbucks union campaign and the lived experiences of the baristas that have created it coincide with a deepening investment in the broader labor movement for those same workers. Most recently on this front, Starbucks Workers United indicated through its social media presence that the union is sending worker delegates to both the Labor Notes Conference in Chicago this weekend, as well as to participate in the 2022 Mass Poor People and Low Wage Workers Assembly and Moral March on Washington. The rising commitment to labor by Starbucks employees is placed in stark contrast with the values of their executive leadership, spearheaded by interim CEO Howard Schultz. When asked if he would ever embrace a Starbucks union, Schultz responded with a blunt, quote, no. He referred to the union as a, quote, third party and indicated that integrating them into the future vision of the company would place, quote, a significant challenge on the customer experience. Schultz's response casts doubt on the company's previous claims that it would negotiate with the union in good faith. And a formal charge by the NLRB for his comments would add to the list of eight ongoing investigations the board has opened against the company. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. Here's Labor Radio's Carol Wydell with a report about an equal employment opportunities case involving one of the largest ginseng producers in the Midwest. Bauman Farms, located near Walsall, Wisconsin, grows and produces much of the ginseng in the Midwest. And recently, Bauman settled with the Equal Employment Opportunities Commission, or EEOC, over charges of sexual harassment, retaliation, and national origin discrimination. The EEOC found that Bauman subjected female employees to a hostile work environment by their male supervisor. He propositioned them for sex, sent sexually explicit photographs and texts, touched them inappropriately, and subjected them to sex-based harassment and threats of physical harm. In addition, Bauman has an English-only policy that discriminates against non-English Hispanic employees. Senior trial attorney Leslie Carter described how the behavior of this employer is a priority for enforcement in the agriculture industry. Bauman Farms case involved very vulnerable workers, and it, that is one of our priorities here at the EUC. Sexual harassment remains a major problem in the agricultural industry, and the EUC will continue to enforce the anti-discrimination laws on behalf of female farm workers who are vulnerable to harassment and retaliation, as well as any farm workers who experience harassment. 
harassment and retaliation based on a protected status. Workers everywhere are entitled to a job free from harassment and retaliation. The Equal Employment Opportunities Commission is the federal agency responsible for enforcing civil rights law in the workplace. Every employee has a right to a workplace that's free from sexual harassment. Discrimination is unacceptable and retaliation is also unacceptable. And the EEOC will continue to hold employers accountable to their obligations under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. The settlement requires Bauman to pay more than 180000 and provide other significant relief to avoid discrimination in the future. To accomplish this, Carter explains, there will be monitoring of all employees at Bauman. Hiring practices are such an important part preventing employment discrimination. Training is just really non-negotiable if you want to have a workplace that's free from discrimination. One of the things that Bauman Farms has agreed to do in connection with the settlement in this case is to set up a 1-800 hotline for its employees, as well as a special email where discrimination complaints can be made directly to the newly appointed Bauman Farms EEO monitor. And it was really important for us to make sure that the complaints could be made in both English and Spanish, either or, whichever the employee is most comfortable making the complaint in. All employees will be trained in the appropriate language. New policies will also be available in the appropriate language. The consent decree that settles this case also requires Bauman Farms to train both management employees and non-management employees regarding Title VII's provisions which prohibit discrimination and retaliation. Bauman Farms will also review and revise their policies and make sure that all of their employees are aware of their their new policies and procedures against sexual harassment and retaliation, which will also be written in both English and Spanish so that we can make sure that the employees are aware of their rights. More information about the EEOC, including how to file a charge of employment discrimination, can be found at the website eeoc.gov. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Members of United Auto Workers Local 180 at Case Agricultural Implement Plant in Racine have been on strike almost eight weeks. Frank Emsbach brings us this report. 700 workers at Case in Racine walked out on Monday, May 2nd. Now, after almost seven weeks on strike, the union is holding strong and community and political support is building. Labor Radio spoke with Yassin Mahdi, president of UAW Local 180. We asked him to outline the key demands. Key demands are wages, benefits, uh, time off from work. Although there are a lot of uh, non-economic demands also, the insurance, you know, keeps going up. Currently, there are no negotiations planned with Case. President Mahdi characterized the negotiations that have taken place so far this way. Awful. In fact, uh, our members would be losing money right, right from the word go with what they propose. Any, any wage increase, would they would still be losing money. Uh, it would be offset uh, with the insurance premiums. You know, they, I'm going to just be very uh, transparent. They, you know, we, we met and it was basically a waste of time. Local 180 is actively organizing community and political support. Earlier today, Senator Bernie Sanders spoke to the union members. Tomorrow, Senator Tammy Baldwin will be at the local to show her support. The local is also reaching out to case dealers 
to alert them to the strike. Thanks to Yassin Mahdi for this interview. I'm Frank Hemsback for Madison Labor Radio. What is driving inflation? This statistic of the week provides some insight. The price of everything is going up, but which part is rising fastest? The three components of costs are labor costs, non-labor costs, and profits. Which component is driving costs? 53.9% is the annualized growth in corporate profits over the recent three quarters. An analysis of data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis looked at the growth in these areas and found that corporate profits are driving inflation. Non-labor costs contribute 38.8%. Labor costs contribute only 7.9%. In other words, worker wage growth is not driving inflation. This data was based on data from the Economic Policy Institute. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. Joe Hill is back. Fermat's last theater is reprising Joe Hill, Alive as You and Me, an evening of song, stories, and solidarity. Thursday, June 23rd at 7.30 p.m. at the Madison Labor Temple. Singing Joe's songs and telling his story will be veteran folk singer and actor Tom Castle. Kevin Gunlock, president of the South Central Federation of Labor, will moderate the post-show discussion, which will feature workers involved in active union drives in Madison today. You can hear our show anytime. Here's Labor Radio's Scott McCullough to talk about how to subscribe to the Labor Radio podcast. Are you a worker? Then we have news for you. Labor Radio is a news program by, for, and about working people. As we enter our third decade on the WART airwaves, we're excited to bring you a new way to listen via a podcast. The Labor Radio podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Rate and subscribe to bring more working people's issues to the digital airwaves. That's the Labor Radio podcast, available from your community radio station, WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm William Rogerberg. Thanks to editors Frank Emsbach and Ellen La Luzerne, assistant Robin G, reporters Mike Bernard, Greg Jaboski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hom, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to website editor J.J. Meyer. Special thanks to Keith Steppen, Stephen, our reader coordinator, and to all of our readers and the members of the IBEW Local 2304WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Rebecca Meyer-Rao. We also like to thank all of the generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT, Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise and Dave Watts.